Hello and welcome to the One Health Podcast. Each week we'll be bringing you an inspiring person or lesson on how to improve in all areas of health, such as physical, mental, emotional, professional, and spiritual. My name is Tori Schmelzer, and each week I'm joined by my co-host Antonio Thomas. We truly appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to spend it with us, and we hope you enjoy this episode. We had the pleasure this week of sitting down with Mr. Benzo. Uh, Michael is an entrepreneur, motivational speaker that has spent most of his working life building cutting-edge, innovative businesses within the fitness industry. He shared with us his struggles, failures, what he learned, what motivates him, and the reasons why he got into fitness in the first place. Uh, before we get into the episode, I want to give a special shout out to our sponsors of the show this week, EcoGym. If you guys don't know what EcoGym is, you need to check it out. They are changing the way people think about health clubs and giving back to the members and the environment at the same time. They're starting to pop up clubs all over the U.S., so check and see if there's a club near you. Make sure you guys go to ecogymworldwide.com, sign up for your free trial today. All listeners of the podcast are going to get a $50 voucher that they can put towards any membership. So make sure you check that out. All right, let's get into this amazing episode. So today on the show, we have the one and only Michael Benzo, uh, co-founder of EcoGym and Fitness Management Group. Mike, thanks for uh, taking some time out to meet yeah, us. Yeah, I'm glad today. to be here. Um, so for those who don't know, um, can you kind of give our listeners an idea of what Fitness Management Group is and uh, how you started that company? Yeah, so really, uh, Fitness Management Group was founded off the concept of creating opportunities for uh, trainers you know, beyond um, being a personal trainer for part-time work. Uh, what what I've seen in the past is, um, and I, I think I speak for a lot of people in this industry, training tends not to be a career. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a career choice. It's a plan. It's an occupation. But those who are extremely passionate about it, they don't really have a, a full long-term vision uh, to make it a career. And so FMG, Fitness Management Group, was designed and created for the purpose of having some kind of system where trainers didn't really have to create uh, leads, uh, generate their own sales um, and, you know, be in a position where they have felt like they had to sell somebody on training or influence them on training. It was really a, a system created where great trainers could come in, do what they do best, which is get clients results. And we had somebody there to help influence that, that position where they could actually train with the client, uh, train with the trainer. So that, that was the intent. It worked out really well for us. We went from, uh, you know, starting a company with 136 bucks. Uh, to a multi-million dollar company in a very short period of time. You know, we were J.P. Morgan's Chase's, uh, one of their top fastest growing companies uh, within six months of, of the time frame. Uh, so, uh, you know, we feel pretty pretty good about uh, the position that we created with that, that business, and that was our springboard for creating um, our other businesses within this industry. Awesome. So you did fitness management group, um, and then you started a company called EcoGym. For those that are listening and don't really know what EcoGym is, what is that? Bring us up to speed there. And then how did you kind of come up with that concept of doing something different in the fitness industry? Uh, you know, I, I've always 
had the passion for owning a health club uh, and, and not just owning a health club, but having a, a facility that was focused on results. Personal training is a you know stream of revenue for health clubs. It's uh, it's it's part of their business, but it's never really been, uh, in my mind, uh, a focal point. And traveling throughout the country, uh, traveling throughout the globe, uh, I've seen a lot of different facilities. I've seen facilities that were uh, highly focused on personal training facilities that were focused on only weight loss. Uh, I've been in, in centers in California uh, where it, it wasn't focused at all on, on fitness uh, or health, really just the, the fact that you could take medication and lose weight. They were highly profitable, great you know, business models to earn money, but not really focused on, on the, uh, the, the person's true interest in keeping them healthy. When I was in Hong Kong, uh, there was a facility that was operating, and I, I won't name them, but uh, their goal was to generate electricity. And it was really a ploy for marketing, uh, which I thought was pretty creative. At the same time, there's another company on the East Coast here in the U.S., and I was reading about them in a trade magazine. And they were rewarding members for exercise. Didn't work out for them. Uh, it, it actually, they kind of folded shortly thereafter, uh, and I think it was just a system they had in place. So being a person focused on uh, systems, uh, I had this idea that you know, we could implement a health club that provided all the results and motivated people to exercise. One of the things that I see in, in our industry is customers get excited about exercising come January, in New Year's resolution, a couple weeks later, they have zero interest in doing it. So how do you keep those people motivated? How do you keep them active? And, well, how about giving them money if they exercise? How about reducing their expense on exercise? How about them generating electricity? And then we pay them for it. So this whole concept of uh, rewarding for helping make the environment a better place by being a hamster on a, on a wheel, uh, all of a sudden was a pretty creative, profound idea that was something that, that we wanted to use. So we did that, developed some software. And, uh, you know, from that, if you're an exerciser, you, you just have the interest in exercising. You come in and join at a gym. And it happens to be our gym. And you're, you're excited to get started on this movement. You're paying a monthly fee. You're motivated for two weeks. And then two weeks later, in January, you maybe February, off, you, you, fall yeah, you fall off the wagon. You come, I want to cancel. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore because it requires me to work out, you know, sweat. Most people don't like to do that. So simple solution. You haven't been coming in. Just come in and you don't have to pay anything. And that was, you know, our solution for preventing uh, the attrition. What's people's reaction when you when you tell them that? They come in and cancel and they say, well, what do you mean? 
just work out more. What, what do you, what reactions do you get back when you, when you try to overcome that objection? It's like, uh, looking into the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good analogy. Yeah. They, they recognize what, uh, what they should be doing. And there's, there's no argument for it because you're just giving them a, a matter of fact response that they needed anyway. You know, they're, they're, I believe people look for that. People want honesty. People want uh, truth. People want them to tell them sometimes the, the hard answers, and they need guidance. Exercise in general, most people don't want to do. And we live in a society where convenience is everything. Uh, even our farmers today, and they can GPS the coordinates of their tractor to take care of what they, they can fall asleep at the wheel and everything's fine. Yep. They're even creating cars now where you can fall asleep at the wheel, you know, to some extent, uh, it tells you where you're going and how to get there and you can set your destination aircraft. You're 500 feet off the ground. They punch in the coordinates of their destination. The pilots really don't do anything until they got to land. So that has become our society technology and it is easy. Life can be really easy, but when you have to push weight around or you have to move your body, uh, Hey, that's not fun. You got to sweat and people don't like that. <laughs> yeah, that's really, really true. So, so Michael, why the fitness industry? Um, I think you kind of dabbled in a few other things as well. Why is the fitness industry stuck out to you so much? When I was young, uh, my grandfather passed away of heart disease. And, uh, you know, that was a defining moment in my life. And really, at that time, uh, my thought process was I'm going to become a physician. I'm going to become a cardiologist. Uh, and it kind of turned into something else in, in the, the medical field, but cardiology or sports medicine, because I love sports, uh, it was going to be the direction I was headed. And I was in a class with a professor, um, Dr. Pete Carroll and not the football coach, not the football coach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we were having a, the, the, the course was on, uh, uh, cardiovascular fitness. And we had to identify a lot of things in detail. I mean, it was, we went into the, the physiology of, uh, cardiovascular fitness. So there were some more, um, detail-oriented components of that course. But one thing that he, he said, and it's funny because I think many people in life in general, there's defining moments. It, it could be a conversation. It could be uh, an action. It could be uh, something you come across unexpectedly. And he had said in the class that he believes that those that are in fitness – the people that are out there that are helping guide nutrition and fitness and, and making people better, that those people are taking a bigger step and making a bigger impact on, on people's lives than physicians do. And for a moment, I didn't quite understand what he meant by that because I wanted to be a physician. And I'm thinking to myself, no, trust me, physicians are the ones making the impact. And they are. But in the fitness industry, as a personal trainer, as a fitness coach, as a, uh, a wellness coordinator, I mean, 
you, you, a life coach. You could name it whatever you want. You could be in any category under that umbrella. And the reality is you truly are preventative medicine as, as a coach or in that, uh, that arena because you're helping prevent the problem. Why be prescribed medication after the problem already exists? Why not take care of it beforehand? And so that's why fitness became uh, such a strong passion for me because I realized that I could affect positive change early on. Yeah, I think you see, I know Antonio and myself working in the industry too, you see a lot of people that, oh, well, now I got this medication. Now the doctor told me, well, I need to be on this high blood pressure medication. And now he's telling me to go work out. So they're they're kind of retroactive. Um, they're not, like you said, why don't why not take care of it ahead of time instead of letting it get to that point where you need that medication? I think that's a really profound thought personally. Yeah, and I, I think in in you know, the medical arena, uh, physicians today are more uh, apt to advise on taking proper steps to be physically active, eat the right foods, uh, and I think it's also because you know customers uh, or the population in general is more aware of uh, health and nutrition. Uh, because the, that information's out there, the data's out there too. So, physicians today, uh, it's it's nice to know, a lot of them will, you know, attempt to prescribe proper dietary habits, proper uh, exercise habits, prior to prescribing medication, and uh, you see that more and more. But you know, to your question, that was the. Uh, that was the reason for fitness. That was the reason for the fitness industry. Nice. So as you're building these two companies, and I don't know if you want to separate this between Fitness Management Group and Eco Gym, but um, what was the biggest challenge you faced personally in bringing up these two companies almost simultaneously? I would say it was uh, for Fitness Management Group, uh, Outside of getting buy-in from trainers, uh, which didn't take long, that's why it became a, a, a quick multimillion-dollar company, um, getting buy-in from trainers was, was uh, the first initial struggle. But once you had enough people uh, on board, uh, you know, then they all buy in. It's kind of you, know, you hit that tipping point. Uh, you got to get enough believers first. Uh, those early adopters, as as they say, and once you get them, uh, then you have enough people believing in you that that you have the momentum to keep growing. Eco Gym was a little bit more of a challenge because uh, people don't understand, at least early on, uh, from from the experience uh, our team has had and I have had is that people early on when we created the concept of EcoGym, it was how do you pay $0 a month for a membership? It seems too much of a scam. Yeah, my initial thought when I first heard it, um, you know, in our initial conversations that I had with you was there's no way. It's got, <laughs> yeah. There's got to be there's got to be something wrong with this. And, I, and people can, uh, you know, put up this wall right away because they're used to, 
being lied to or being tricked or something like that. So I'm sure you got a lot of that. Oh, we did. Uh, and we still do today with new customers, but the ones who are believers, uh, those early adopters, and as we continue to grow, they are your biggest advocates. The ones who pay $0 a month, the ones who pay, uh, you know, a small fee to be a member, uh, they're your biggest advocates and they're going to continue to help grow your brand, uh, virally. Um, I would say that was probably the biggest challenge to get over that hurdle. I remember, um, one of the executives I used to work with in, in a, a prior company, he made a joke, uh, to me about the brand eco gym when I was starting it and kind of laughed at it, uh, that was a little bit of a driver to keep me going. Uh, so it's <laughs> it's nice to have uh, some of those non-believers because as long as you believe in what you're doing, because uh, you need your cheerleaders, you need the ones you know rooting you on, you know helping you get to the goal, uh, keeping you motivated. Any anybody needs that, but also to have the ones that don't believe, at least for me, is also a driving force uh, to keep me motivated. Um, I like it when someone tells me that I don't think you can do it. Uh, it's it's another driver for me. Not, not everybody operates that way. I do. I like it when someone says you. I don't think you can do it. Yeah. Uh, that's just how I react. Nice. Um, I want to. What was the biggest failure you had during that whole process? So you're implementing these new systems. You're hiring people, letting people go. This and that. You're doing all this all at the same time. Um, yeah, I, I'm a firm believer in we can learn a lot from the failures that we go through. So, yeah, I guess if you could speak to that and kind of what lesson did you learn from it? The I love it when people ask me about failures because I, I don't I don't believe in failing. I believe in uh, life lessons. I believe in experiences. Uh, I believe in, in learning and every failure, you know, if you were to look at it from that perspective, uh, because you do set, you know, goals for your, I set goals for myself. I think everybody should set a goal for themselves, whatever it is, but in setting a, a, a goal or a challenge or something to get to a milestone, there's been times when I haven't hit that milestone in the time frame in which I expected. If you call that a failure, that's fine. But I'll tell you what, I've always hit the milestone because I don't give up. <laughs> it may take longer than I expected, but I get there. Even if it means you're taking one step forward and two steps back sometimes, but you still get there. Uh, and as long as you have that in, in your view, and you keep it there so you can laser focus on it, you will achieve it. You just have to keep pushing for it. Uh, sometimes the weight's a little heavier than you expected. Sometimes you have to take breaks because it's too heavy. But as long as it's in view, as long as it's in sight and you don't give up and you want that, you'll get there. Uh, but for those out there who are looking to open their own business, you know, if they're listening to this because, uh, you know, they want some insight on business and from experience as a business owner, I can tell you that anyone that is starting a business, first of all, you have to know 
where you're going. You have to know your coordinates. If you're just spending time traveling in circles or traveling to get to a a destination, you may be wasting so much gas trying to get there that you may may never end at the destination you initially intended. So you have to know where it is you're going so you can straight line it there. Uh, That is key. More importantly, along that straight line, you have to have processes in place. You have to have systems in place, and you have to know what those systems need to be. The very first thing that you need to have in your business arsenal is a good accounting team, you know, or in a good advisor for accounting that can at least set you up properly. If you don't have that, you don't know what your numbers are. And in business, numbers are critical. So you have to know. I mean, we were doing multi-millions of dollars in revenue, uh, and until we really looked at it in our first, you know, business, you, you could actually be losing money. You could be millions of dollars. You'd be doing $10 million in revenue, but you could be spending $11 million. So that's a, a critical, we weren't doing that, but that's a critical, you know, point to, I think, be understood. Um, and part of that process is, you know, if you have someone who's helping guide you or advise you on those, those key points in business, understanding your numbers, then you know, you know, where your budgets are. What do you pay your staff? What do you charge for, for a service? If you're going to have $0 memberships, if you might actually give everyone $0, you need to know what that scenario looks like. If you have 1,000 or 1,500 or, or 20,000 members and they're all paying $0, is that likely? Probably not. But you need to know what that scenario looks like in the event that it does happen. So uh, understanding that dynamic is critical. Having a good, uh, a good accounting bookkeeping team. So you talked about knowing where you're going, knowing what that North Star is. So for you, what is that? What gets Michael Benzo out of bed every day? And what gets Michael Benzo to push through all these fires that you have to put out as a business owner throughout the day? Knowing that what is being created um, is probably, at least uh, in this perspective, and what I've seen out there, is somewhat industry-changing. That's uh, a motivator for me. That's a huge motivator for me. Because 15 years ago, the percentage of people in the U.S. that had a gym membership was about 10%, 10 to 12%. Um, today it's like 17, 18%, you know, just based on, uh, trade magazines. I think more people are exercising because they're more aware of what they need to do. I don't believe that everyone is so totally eco-conscious that they want to be a hamster on the wheel and generate electricity. So you, so you need, uh, you know, the, the creature comforts of regular pieces of equipment that most people are used to, but at the same time to know that you're making an impact, that you're you're helping change lives, and that you can influence someone who wants to cancel. And you say all you got to do is spend one percent of your life or one percent of your day in the gym. You know, thirty minutes, three times a week. I mean, there's 168 hours in a week. That's nothing, and you can pay zero dollars to do that, and you can feel better. 
and you can provide electricity for your community and you can lower the carbon footprint all because you exercise. So you feel better, the environment's better. I think that's somewhat industry changing. I think that's a little industry changing in, in our field in fitness. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, we've all been members to plenty of other health clubs. Antonio, you've been yeah, all over the place. A lot of different clubs. And a gym is a gym is a gym at the end of the day. A lot of them have a lot of equipment. So I think you're right. I mean, having this extra um, feature benefit is totally different than what you see right now. Yeah, and I think uh, people want to be a part of something different and new and uh you know, that they don't see every day. Um, my next question for you, Michael, we, throughout the day, we have more conversations with ourselves than we do with anyone else. And that means we have more negative conversations with ourselves than we do with anyone else. At some point you may have wanted to give up or, you know, might've had a setback and wanted to stop or just say, Hey, this isn't going to work. I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll be done. What made you push past that? Or how did you overcome that? Even though you were telling yourself that it couldn't be done or it wasn't possible, how'd you push past that? Yeah, there's no doubt um, people have bad days. Okay? People have bad moments. Uh, and there is self-doubt. There's pity. That happens. I mean, that happens in everyone's life. It happens uh, to some degree for everyone. If you say that it's never happened to you, I'm going to have a hard time believing that. I mean, you have to prove that to me. But uh, I truly believe that it, it, those moments have occurred for a lot of people in general, especially business owners who are uh, you know, attempting something new. Getting past it, uh, and that's why you need those cheerleaders. That's why you need those people reminding you uh, what you're doing or why you're doing it. For me, I don't know if um, if always the, the the group of support was needed there's been times where I've gotten down on myself and, and didn't believe for a short period of time and then I remind myself you know a, a moment of clarity happens and you go man I've come this far already you know if you've ever had to uh, endure a long challenge or a race or an event, uh, I mean, hell, it can even be a long car drive. Um, when you're halfway down the road or even a quarter of the way right down the road, you don't go, all right, time to turn back. After you have that moment of clarity and you go, man, you know, I'm almost there. I mean, I've already knocked out half this thing or I've already knocked out a quarter of it. I've got three quarters left or I've got a halfway left. You keep pushing. But the other component is truly having a good support team. I mean, and not just the support team, but having people that you can count on, you can trust, uh, people that believe in the same thing that you believe in. Um, those are, are important factors. I mean, you do, you do need that to some degree. Um, it is always going to be more challenging if there's no outside support. You know, it, it's like the Forrest Gump movie, uh, you know, running in the middle of the, I don't know how many times he stopped <laughs> watching that movie. I mean, he's running in the middle of these yeah. roads and he's all by himself and he's just thinking in his own head. 
but eventually once there were more people that saw him running, you know, what happened? Yeah, he built a pretty big group across the finish line with him and ran all the way back. So, uh, you know, having, having that support makes, uh, makes a pretty big impact. Gotcha. So you talk about cheerleaders, you talk about people that support you, um, you know, going through your life and what you've been through, who did you kind of look up to? Did you have certain people, whether it was mom or dad or brothers, um, anybody like that who you really looked up to and kind of learned from? I would say, uh, certainly, uh, family, my parents, uh, they, you know, I'm a, I come from a blue collar family. Uh, I grew up in a town of 600 people. Uh, I have five brothers. Uh, I remember days of, of, uh, it being a challenge for my parents to, uh, you know, provide a lot of, a lot of food. Uh, I remember splitting hot dogs with my brothers, uh, and not that that was nutritious, but you know what, that's, that's what they could afford and that's what they did. And I give a ton of credit to, to my parents, uh, and even my, my brothers, uh, because they also supported, I mean, you could have fought back as a kid, you know, what is this mom and dad? And, you know, why are you feeding us this junk? Uh, or we want more food. You know, we weren't like that. And part of that was the way we were raised. I mean, heck, if we talk like, our, like that to our parents, uh, forget it <laughs> you're in pretty big trouble but uh you know they they were really the uh i mean they were the foundation of our family they still are today and um seeing them work hard to achieve progress and like i said not every time that you're you're hitting those milestones are you sometimes going forward sometimes you go backwards but it's progress uh, in any sense, because even if it's something you learn from, it's progress, right? If it, if it's so cl- called a failure, because today you didn't make progress forward, yeah, you move backwards a little bit, but you learn from it. Uh, those those were critical learning experiences uh, as as a child and adolescent growing up. But even seeing my uh, older brothers and even younger brothers, you know they put forth the same kind of effort that was instilled in them, uh, through our parents. Uh, and then also as I started to get involved in business and growing business, even having support from, uh, you know, my children, uh, them knowing dad's not going to be around, uh, or dad's not always there or dad's busy, uh, and them being accepting of it, you know, that, that's, that goes a long way. And then having my wife be there uh, and understanding. So you do need a support team uh, for sure. Uh, you know, I commend those who, who have zero support and they still make it. Uh, that says a lot about their personality uh, and their drive. But you know, for if you got a support team and you got a vision and you know what you want to do, uh, stay on track because you'll get there. Awesome. Um, you know, each guest we have on the show, they're going to share a little bit of insight as to, you know, what they do throughout their normal day to be successful. And what I'm always curious about is morning routines. So, you know, you get some entrepreneurs that, you know, try to say, I'm just, just not a morning person. How can I get up that early? What can I do to get myself up and out of bed? Um, is there a specific morning routine 
that you're going through each day to help kind of get your day going? Are there some things in there that are just non-negotiable that need to be done every single morning? What does that look like for you? I, I would say that it's my morning routines are for the most part set uh, with flexibility. And I think that comes as uh, being in business. You have to have flexibility because you might get uh, an early morning call or an early morning email and you got to take care of something. Uh, part of that is that I, I do some business outside of the U.S., so different time zones uh, are also a factor. So I do have some flexibility in my morning, but as far as routine goes, um, you know, for me, it's, it's setting your mind right early in the day, knowing what your tasks are. I don't write down things um, that, that I'm going to complete during a day. I know what I need to get done. Uh, and that's usually, you know, through, um, a, a, I use Evernote. So a list that I've created in Evernote for notes, um, you know, identifying my projected plan, uh, things that need to get completed and they're prioritized. And then every evening before I go to bed, I set a list of things that need to get completed over the course of X amount of time. And then every morning I wake up and I review those things mentally. Uh, I visualize what I'm going to accomplish. I, I actually visualize. I, it's almost like a meditative process of what's going to get done. Uh, because that way I have a preparation. Uh, I played sports when I was younger. And part of the process uh, before I went out and competed was preparation. It was visualizing what was going to happen. How am I going to accomplish this stuff today? Uh, on the field or on the court and it makes you better uh, my son plays basketball he, he just told this to me uh, the other day they took 10 basketball players and for each basketball player uh, they had two groups of 10 one of the groups they went out and they would shoot over the course of it, it was a period of time over the course of that period of time, they would shoot 10 baskets every day from a specific point. And then the other group of 10 people, they wouldn't shoot at all. They just visualized every day that they made X amount of shots from a certain point on the, on the court. And then they went out and tested it. The ones who visualized actually performed better than the ones who actually shot. Wow. So there's... And there's plenty of different types of studies out there that showcase that. So visualization is a, a big component of my morning. Drinking a bunch of water. I think I, I probably consume 64 ounces of water first thing when I wake up every day. Um, I take my vitamins. Uh, and then I have something very light to eat. If I have time for a workout, I'll get a workout in. It's usually not very long, usually 20 to 30 minutes, mostly cardio. And then... Uh, I spend time with my kids in the morning uh, because that's my routine. That's the time that I really get to spend with them. And then I go throughout my day and I complete those tasks that I visualized earlier on in the, in the morning. Uh, I think for, I'm, I'm not an overly, mentally I'm detailed, but I may not, when it comes to detail uh, in the sense of uh, reading a lease or uh some of the leases that we have are, you know, 80 pages long. I'm not going to go through all that detail. Uh, so 
when it comes to processes, uh, things that we actually are, are working on now, I don't have all the detail of a system in place. Um, I know what it needs to be, but the detail may not be there. So I don't spend the time on the details. Um, and, and I think as a business owner, you have to identify what your strengths are. That's not a strength of mine. I know it needs to get done, but putting it all on paper and detailing it out, creating the process for it, that's not my skill. Uh, so you have to identify those who have those skills uh, and implement that and delegate it because that's going to help you ultimately become a better business owner and manage your, your business better. So uh, I think for every, you know, you, you say you're going to go through and uh, the other people that you have on here, you'll be kind of identifying what their their routines are. I think it's going to vary to some degree, but you probably find some level of um, of a system that's very similar for most of uh, business owners in general. But, uh, it, you know, to your question, I think maybe that for me it's visualization is a big component. Cool. Um, now one thing I know Antonio and I deal with and you as well is stress. We're all stressed. Every, <laughs> every single human being that I run into is stressed about something. We all have different ways of dealing with stress in business. You know, we joke about, what do I say we are? What's our job title, Antonio? We're firefighters. We put out <laughs> fires every single day. That's what we do. And we're the last line of defense when it comes to the company. It's easy for a lot of the employees to say, oh, well, you got to talk to the owner. You got to talk to the operating partner. You got to talk to somebody. So stress, some days, you know, I feel, I'm sure you do too, Antonio, you feel like from the minute you wake up, it's being piled on top of you. You, Michael, how do you stay even keeled and not let yourself go too low when everything else around you is trying to drag you down mm -hmm. and all that stress is being piled and piled and piled on top of you? You know, the interesting thing, Antonio, you mentioned earlier that uh, you know, we have, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but I know what you mean. We have more time in our own heads and we spend more time in our own head than anybody than, than talking to anyone else. We talk to ourselves more than we do anyone else. Uh, statistics are out there. It's like 80% of the, your day is spent talking to yourself to some degree. I mean, you don't actually, you know, vocalize it. You know, you're not standing in a mirror yeah. looking at yourself talking. <laughs> but uh, mentally, you hear your own voice. Uh, the thing about stress is that if you tell yourself if you spend that 80% of time talking about the past, talking about what you could have done, talking about the negative things, uh, and telling yourself that you're stressed, I'm stressed. If I say I'm stressed enough times during the day, shit, you better believe it. I'm pretty damn stressed. But if you start telling yourself that, hey, here is the issue. Here's the fire. How am I going to put it out? Well, probably shouldn't use gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Some people do, though. I mean, they, that, that's your first reaction is to get more fired up about it and get yeah. vocalize how much more angry you are at what's going on. Yeah. So I think in previously, uh, it took me some time to identify it, but I used to let things pile up and I would identify it as a stress component, as, a, as something that 
burdened me and it would weigh me down until I realized that, you know what, what I need to do is just take things one at a time. It's like reading a book. If you go to school and the very first session of school, the first class, they say, they pop all the books on your table and you got like 10 books there. And these things are big. I mean, they, most of those textbooks are huge. Here's your coursework. That is a burden. You actually have to put that crap in your backpack and carry it around. It gets heavy over the course of the day. Versus if you see that and you go, okay, well, this is what I got to accomplish. I got the whole year to do it. And you take it one textbook at a time. And you identify that in class, well, we don't have to read the whole thing today. I just got to turn the page and read page one. And then after page one, I got to read page two. And eventually I'm going to get through the subject matter of chapter one. And I'm going to have some questions. And they're going to ask me some questions. And, well, hopefully I paid attention and didn't get distracted by all the other books that are sitting there. And I just focused in on this. If I can just focus in on that one thing at that very moment, being present, being cognizant of the now, then nothing else matters at that moment. That's, that's the thing that I've learned about stress, is that stress only exists because you allow it to mentally exist in your own mind. If you recognize that those things exist, they need to get done at some point, I will get them done. But today, this is the thing that's urgent, and this is what I'm going to prioritize and take care of. That's the whole reason why visualization is so important to me. I'll get through chapter one. I will answer the questions, and I will answer them correctly. And then I'll go to chapter two. And I'll be so focused on that. I'll be laser focused in on that one book. The other books don't matter because it's a totally different subject matter. So, you know... I today don't really get burdened by stress uh, unless I allow myself to. And I meditate when I can. Uh, I'm usually relatively consistent with it. And that's another uh, component that helps really prioritize your day, uh, help you recognize that you need to be present and aware in the now. And I've gotten better over the years of you know, even spending, you know, people talk about the balance of family and work. I can work 70 hours a week and still have time with my family as long as the time that I'm spending with my family is quality and I'm there for them at that moment. But if I'm spending 40 hours of work and the rest of the time is with my family but I'm not present, well, what was the purpose of spending any time with them? I think that's huge. You get, you get entrepreneurs are like, oh, you know, I'm going to really carve out this time for my family, but they're sitting there on their phones checking social media or they're um, spacing out in front of the TV and not seeing what's going on over here in the background with your kids. You really hear about that all the time. Or even if you don't have kids, even if it's just you and your girlfriend or you and your spouse, um, it's the same type of situation. It's different quality versus quantity, I think is huge. And I think uh, you know, just touching on that a little bit more, because I think relationships are important, uh, not just in in your workplace, but at home. 
uh, with family or friends and uh, prior years, you know, being in, involved in, you know, o- sometimes overly involved in, I, I really don't stop thinking about work and it's not because I want to work, it's because I love what I do. Um, I, I, I dream about, you know, and they're not nightmares, they're dreams. You know, I get stuff done in my dreams and then I've got a plan for tomorrow about what I'm doing with my job, which is awesome. Uh, I think my wife thinks that I'm, you know, a little obsessed with, with what I do. <laughs> and it may be the case. But uh, I can tell you that, you know, I've put a lot more effort into focusing on family and, and uh, to your point about, the phones, people being focused on what's going on and if, man, convenience is, is nice. But at the same time, I think we're, we've be gotten into a system of society where, uh, we're overly social, uh, to the extent where we don't actually have conversation. We do everything. Oh yeah. Now I'll text you from across the table and you look at your text and you text me back. <laughs> That's so <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. And, and I see it all the time. So, you know, when, I've gotten to a point now when, when my wife and I, we go out, uh, I honestly, it was unintentional, but it, we, we might sit at a table for a four top, you know, at a restaurant and the waitress or waiter will always come over. They'll place the, the menus, you know, across from you. you know, so you're sitting across from your wife, uh, or your, whoever you're with. And I'm always the one and it was totally unintentional, but it was just because I was there, you know, I'm, I'm aware I'm present and I want to spend time with her and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just move the menu and move my water and my, my setting. And I just sort of sit right next to her. And it's because I want to, I want to be involved, you know, and I, I think she wants to be involved. I hope she wants to be involved too. Jeez. <laughs> uh, but that's, that creates a dynamic of uh, conversation where you're there. I put my phone down. Sometimes I just leave it in the car. You know, I turn it off, uh, which sometimes can cause a problem because then the next day when she's trying to call me and I forgot to turn my phone ringer back on and she can't get a hold of me, <laughs> then I get in trouble. <laughs> We've never seen that, have we? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> but I can tell you, you know, being being aware, being present, being there, uh, and not just saying you're gonna you're gonna carve out time, but actually no different than you're laser focused on your, your business, you're laser focused on a, a milestone, be laser focused when you're with your family because that, that will ultimately help you because it's going to make them better cheerleaders too. You know, when they understand your business, they understand what you're doing and what you're doing it for. Uh, they're going to know that you're invested not only in, in what you do, but you're invested in them. Uh, so you kind of, sidetracked a little bit on family but uh i think that's important no i think that's a good point i'm gonna try that actually i'm gonna just move the, <laughs> <laughs> the placement and sit over but i know what you mean you go out to dinner uh i go out to dinner with my wife and typically sometimes the first thing we do we'll take our phones out and set them on the table and then before you know it she's on her phone and i'm on my phone and it's wait a minute you know we're right here so I think leaving it in the car, that's a, that's a, something that I got to start doing. Yeah. I always got, Oh, so it's, it's habitual. I mean, you, yeah, you, cause you have it, you have that technology, it's there and it, it's habitual because it's an addiction. Uh, these, uh, companies, they know what the hell they're doing. 
they get your phones and they so freaking smart, you know, it yeah. pings you and you pick the damn thing up again. Yeah. Yeah. We were on our way to, to work out the other night and we were at the gym and she forgot her phone. So we had to go back. So we turned around, went back and we got back to the house and we're like, why do you need your phone? I'm, <laughs> we're, we're together we're, we're going through a workout we don't actually yeah. need it yeah, so. there's an emergency yeah one of us can use the other phone yeah yeah i mean i think it's a it's a sense of comfort really when you're in awkward social situations it's you know, what am i what am i missing it's comfortable to pick up your phone and look at it and you know do that so now, where's my other extremity i lost it <laughs> seriously yeah. that's what it, that's what it's turned into um what are some we're on a podcast right now. What are some other podcasts or books you're kind of into right now? You're reading or listening to? Yeah, uh, I've. Uh, I, I probably can't give you any specifics. I mean, I Tony Robbins, Dean Graziosi, uh, uh, Marcus Lemonis. Uh, I mean, I really have listened to other podcasts. I've list. I've read books. Um, I'm currently reading a book about Donald Trump, uh, you know, not to give any indication on whether I'm Republican or Democrat because I'm neutral, but uh, I've read books on Clinton. So I I think education is key. Um, You can't know enough. The more information you have, the better prepared you are, the the more tools you have in your toolkit. something that I, I recently was reading. Um, if the only tool you have in your tool chest is a hammer, then all of a sudden everything becomes a nail. So you always just pound on them. So I think you, you have to understand that you need more uh, knowledge. And you don't know everything. You really don't. I don't care who you are. Yeah, You, you don't know it all. So you need, and if your toolkit includes delegation, you know, having other people available that you can count on, uh, people you can call on, those are important things because you're not always, it's not always going to be a nail that you need to pound on it. It could be something totally different and you're using the wrong tool. So understanding that is is another point of difference and and growing as a business owner or as an entrepreneur or as a uh, a husband or a father uh, parent sibling I mean it could be anything so just just gaining more knowledge uh, is going to help better prepare you long term I think listening to your elders is also an important thing uh, they have a lot of wisdom uh, just through experience in life and uh, again going back to this whole social media thing and your phone as another extension of you. You know, even though there's a lot of information out there and content is, is king, uh, you know, take time to have real conversation with real people who've had real experiences. Uh, and not every experience is going to be the same. So having more understanding of a variety of experiences gives you better perception. You know, look through multiple windows of the house. Each angle looks a little different. So, yeah. Uh, and each room looks a little different. So you have, having that knowledge is, is going to better prepare you just in general. I love it. I think we get stuck in this routine where you're on your way to work every day. You got your certain playlist that you listen to on Spotify and your certain records you listen to or CDs that you play. 
But uh, I found that, you know, for me personally, my personal growth, I realized, okay, I'm sitting in traffic for 45 minutes listening to the same songs, the same type of songs over and over and over. Why don't I be a little bit more productive with this time? So when I started filling my brain with knowledge in the morning on the way to work, I found I was more creative. I was more receptive, you know, when I walked through the door. So that was, it was hard to get into that routine for me. But once I did, you realize how much you really don't know. (laughs) I mean, there's experts in every single industry. So yeah, I totally agree with you on that. And I could be saying everything right now completely wrong. I mean, because I, (laughs) man, if I'm an expert, geez. But, you know, I just I'm I'm expressing the information here based on my experiences in life. And uh, I encourage everybody else out there, uh, you know, to at least listen to what I have to say. It may all be wrong, but it's a perspective. Yeah. And if you find value in that because maybe your path is similar. Then there's something to be learned. Yeah, and we're all talking, we all here listen to different podcasts, and Michael, you've mentioned a few, and I think Tori and I probably listen to a lot of the same ones. People are going to listen to this, and they're going to hear your story and hear how you came up with this idea and what you've gone through, you know, what time you wake up and what you do in the morning. What are you hoping that listeners get out of out of listening to you today? If there's one person that gains any perspective on, on uh, improving their lifestyle it, truly their lifestyle just the way they live uh it doesn't need to be someone uh, that's listening to this and they they want to own a business you don't have to be a business owner to to gain anything um it it really is just my hope is one i like to get my story out there i, I think that's beneficial in general it's beneficial for the business uh to some degree hopefully there's some value to that uh, but the other component is if there's any information I can provide and whether the information's, you know, accurate, it, 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 there, there's probably no accuracy to it all at all because there's so many different uh, vantage points. But as long as there's some validity to it and you can understand uh, some of the content and you from this maybe change a little bit of the way you live you know fine-tune something out of your day even if to your point Antonio you leave your phone in your car one thing and that makes a positive impact in your lifestyle then there was achievement here today yeah I totally agree um so as we wrap up today I want to personally commend you and thank you for the work that you're doing in our local communities and the work you're do- you've done to change so many people's lives. I know you've been a big influence on me and Antonio, not only you know in business but personally too. Um, you know through your personal training business through EcoDrim, you've really taken a different approach to innovating in this industry and uh, caring about the people that work for you, your clients, and the people you work with. So I want to commend you for that. Thank you. Um, We're going to wrap up each show every week with asking you two questions. So if you had to narrow it down to two life lessons, two things to live by, and these were the only two things that you could pass along to your children, to future generations, that's it. That's all you got to pass along. 
what would they be? Not to put you on the spot here or anything. That's <laughs> yeah. a kind of a loaded question. Could be any yeah, any two things. It's totally loaded because then <laughs> you, you're going to have to cut out like days <laughs> of silence while I, you know, uh, plan this. And then he'll come back and I'll cut it back in. So yeah, it sounds exactly. like my answer was right there. <laughs> I'm uh, sure you've touched on a couple of them already. But yeah, two things you want to pass along to everybody else. Wow, man, there's so many. Yeah, uh, shit. If you caught me on my deathbed, which is going to be a long time from now, I probably have those two things like right now for you. But uh, so it might change in the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Right now, if it right, was if it right, was today right and now, you were on, on your deathbed, right now on the spot, uh, shooting from the hip. Um, two things. Live below your means. That's a great one. And uh, this is kind of a... No, no, it can can just be one. Love. Just love. Uh, Because I think love, uh, love, love is a nebulous term. There's so much that, so that's why I use that one because it kind of like hits everything. Uh, if, if you're loving, um, you're going to get that in return from other people. Uh, you'll be happier, uh, because it's, it's fulfilling. If you find love, you'll hopefully get, um, you, you're going to be able to give that out and you'll get it in return. And through love comes gen- generosity. It, it, through love comes, uh, becoming a genuine person, having real conversations, um, smiling with, uh, you know, real intent, you know? So I think those are right now on the spot. Those are the only two that I can come up with. I love it. No, that's absolutely perfect. (laughs) Again, not to put you on the spot, but that was good. All right. Well, Hey, thanks for coming on brother. Really, really enjoyed this. It was really good. I think these guys are going to take a lot from it. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks.